The reading today is taken from Luke chapter 23, verse 39 to 43. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he says, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sadie. Uh, if you can keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 23, we will go through other parts of the Bible um, there. So I'm sure having a Bible in front of you will help. But as we come to this text, let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we give you thanks for your written word. We thank you that it's living and active, sharper than two-edged sword. And we pray that you will speak to us this morning with your living and powerful word and shape our mind, shape our emotions, uh, shape our um, heart um, to be more like you, that we may live to praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you go to watch uh, the movie Iron Man and you know Iron Man is not going to die in the middle of it. He might get captured, he might get beaten. In any of these movies, if the movies are good, it'll make you doubt. Maybe he will die, but in the end, he will come through. Because if Iron Man dies in the middle of the movie, then it wouldn't be called Iron Man. It would be called something else. There is a superhero that dies. Neo in Matrix does die. But do you know what happens to Neo? He comes back to life. Superheroes, the main characters, do not die. And the people 2,000 years ago around Jesus thought the same thing about Jesus. They just couldn't believe that the Messiah would die, that he could die. Messiah is the Hebrew word for Christ, which really is, uh, well, Christ is the Greek word, and it really just means the, the, the chosen king, the chosen one. The crowd and the uh, religious leaders back then couldn't believe that Christ would die. And we hear this taunt three times. Take a look at verse 34. The crowd and the religious leaders say to him, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ uh, Christ of God, his, uh, his chosen one. The religious leaders think that the proof of Jesus being the Christ is him coming down from the cross. The chosen one would not die such a miserable death. And this taunt is repeated again uh, in verse 37 by the soldiers, the political powers. The soldiers say, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. You see, they, don't, they can't speak for the religious leaders, but they are the soldiers of the Roman Empire. And that they know as soldiers that emperors don't die like this. If he's the true emperor, he wouldn't die like this. If you are the king, they say, king of the Jews, come down, save yourself. And finally, we hear this taunt by the man dying next to Jesus. He rails at him, and more literally, in verse 39, blasphemes him by saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. 
We know from the two other Gospels, Matthew and Mark, that these are not just some uh, petty thieves, but they're zealots. They're freedom fighters. They're uh, people who are fighting against the Roman Empire to win their freedom, win the uh, the independence of Israel. And they think that Jesus is a failure. They say, save yourself if you're really the Christ. And these three taunts, I think, are almost like the last temptations of Jesus. They're asking Jesus to come down from the cross, the very thing that he came to do. The first temptation was in the desert, remember? And the the pattern is exactly the same. In the first temptation, the devil asks, if you are the Son of God, do this and that. In the last temptation, these three groups question Jesus' identity again. If you are the Christ, if you are the king, come down from the cross. Because no one believes that the chosen one, the king, could and would die this miserable death. Of course, this is because they all thought that they knew what Christ was supposed to do, who Christ was. He would come and establish his kingdom in power and glory. He would make his enemies his footstool so that they made fun of Jesus dying. And people still do it. Muslims can't still believe that Jesus would die such a miserable death because Allah protects the, the, the faithful. Allah protects his, uh, his prophets. So they cannot believe that Jesus would die this sort of death. The Jews are still waiting for their Messiah because they have this idea of Messiah coming in glory and in power in the fashion of King David. They would triumph. The trouble is, that this, this is not the Messiah of the Bible. This is not the Messiah of the Bible. The Old Testament presented sin as our biggest problem. And the Messiah would then, would then um, solve the problem of sin. The Old Testament says it's not lack of power. It's not even lack of having an independent country. The problem with all of us is sin. And it's at the very beginning of the Bible. I mean, just take a look at the first, uh, cha- first three chapters. Chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned. And God had told them explicitly that their, the, 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 uh, the penalty of their disobedience is death. You will surely die if you eat this. And the reason why the Old Testament is so uh, concerned about cleanly, uh, cleanliness, clean, uh, the clean and the unclean, it's because uh, they're concerned about our sin, our approachability before God. As we come before God, if we are sinners, we would be consumed. We would meet our death. And then carefully records how we should give our guilt offerings or fellowship offerings because it's concerned for our sin. It designates a day as a day of atonement. A day that reminds us that we are sinners, that the penalty for sin is death, death of these animals. That there is a judgment and the wage of death, a wage of sin is death. But of course, these religious leaders, the soldiers, and the thief weren't that interested in Christ of the Bible. How he would solve this main and fundamental problem for all of us. But the Bible does predict this. Prophets like Isaiah predict that the Messiah would come, not just in power and glory, but as, as a suffering servant. He writes, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him, considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace 
was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53. Everybody misunderstands the Messiah and therefore asks him to do the wrong things. And partly, they make this mistake because they're not interested in the Messiah of the Bible, because they're only interested in their own problems, their current day problems. They're interested in a Messiah coming and freeing them from the Roman Empire. That's what their, mi- that their minds are at. They want Israel to be restored as it was before. That's where what they were concerned about. And this last thief, he also is concerned about himself. What's in it for him? Look at the question that the thief asks on the cross. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. He asks Christ to save him, to help him come down from the cross. He's self-absorbed. He's facing his own problem, and that's what he's thinking of. If you are the Christ, save yourself and me. And this certainly isn't just a mistake that people in the ancient days made. This is a problem for all of us, isn't it? Don't we do this all the time? Oftentimes, we're not interested in knowing, finding out who God is, what his plan for the world is, and what he wants us to do. Because we're all too self-absorbed and we're consumed by the problems that we're facing today, right now. And so we constantly say to God, God, if you are God, you would heal me right now. If you are God, you would show up right now. If you are God, you would answer all my prayers the things that I want him to do right now, getting into good school or that promotion that uh, in that relationship, a girlfriend or boyfriend, a wife. And the question that I want to ask is, is that what you do? Is that what you do? How about you? Are you interested in finding out who God is? Who God is and what he is like? What he's, his plan of salvation for the whole world is what he wants us to do and trying to fit our life into his plan, into God's plan. And to, um, are we asking ourselves, how can I live um, my life in, in such a way that would please God? We can't continue to be self-absorbed and ask him to be our personal assistant. Don't try to use God for personal gain as if you, you know better than God how to rule the world. We must come to him in humility. We must find out. We must try to find out who God is. There are a couple of book, good books, once again, I'm plugging a couple more books. But Von Roberts, God's Big Picture, that's a good start to try to find out what the overall picture of the Bible is, the story of the Bible. What does the Bible say about who God is and how he's, trying to, he's saving the world and how can I fit my life into him, his plans? Um, Mission for the People of God by Chris Wright tells us, once again, what it means for us to live as God's people, what he wants us to do. These correct our minds to say, not, how can you, God, help me? But these books help us to think, how can I fit my life into his plan, his bigger plan? And it's arrogant to think that God would help us in the same, in the way that we ask God to help us. And that arrogance marks the first thief. But the second thief then mark, is marked by fear. 
Take a look at verse 40. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? As he's dying on the cross, he's starting to fear, uh, fear God. He's starting to think about his spiritual life. As he's dying on the cross, he's starting to think, he's thinking, thinking about his second judgment, how he might face God. The first criminal was concerned just about his earthly life. Save yourself and us. He wants his life here on earth a bit longer. But the second is concerned about God and the spiritual judgment that would come. Don't you fear God? He asked that question because he fears God. And as Proverbs say, that is the beginning of wisdom. And that fear must have led him to a deeper reflection of himself. Since look at what he admits to next. He says he is a sinner, justly dying, condemned to, be, uh, to, uh, to death on the cross. He says in verse 41, we're receiving the due reward for our deeds. He admits that he deserves the death penalty. And this really is the hardest admission that you can make, that you are a sinner. And this must not have not come easily for this criminal either. Once again, the gospel suggests that this criminal isn't just some petty thief. He was a freedom fighter. He was a zealot. He fought for the independence of Israel against the Romans. He might have felt justified for the way in which he lived, and he fought for his country. But as he starts thinking about his death and how he would face God, he gains a perspective. He thinks now that he's a sinner in need of forgiveness and mercy. And this is really the hardest admission to make. And I think this is the thing that stands in most people's way from becoming Christian. They can't see how that they are bad. They can't see that they are sinners in need of God's just punishment. So once again, I want to ask all of us, how about us? How about you? Do you believe that you are good? Do you believe that you are sinners condemned to death? If we think seriously and honestly enough, I think we'd arrive at the conclusion that we're not all very good. Imagine all the sins that you've committed. Every time you've cheated, every bad thought that you've had, every bad thing that you've done, every bad webpage you've opened, every, everybody that you hurt through your actions and lies and words, and see, imagine all, not just the things that you've done, but all the consequences of the things that you've done, because they go on and on, don't they? Imagine that these things would be made into a film and be played in Pearl TV for all Hong Kongers to see. How many of us could go outside the next day? How many of us could actually do that and feel like a good person? Do we really think that we are good people? And if you're, if you're, just, if you're thinking, well, if it's just you judging me, well, I'm better than you. I'm better than most of you. No, no. <laughs> the thing, the problem is, the ultimate judge isn't me. It's not you. It's God. Remember, this thief is hanging next to Jesus Christ on the cross. And as it often happens, he must have, as he's dying next to somebody who's really good, 
And, and this happens often, doesn't it? Uh, as we're in the presence of somebody really good, as we hear these stories of the things that they've done, we often think to ourselves, man, I, I can't do that. That's not how I would react. That's not what I would do. As this thief is dying next to Jesus, he must have felt the difference between him and Jesus. Next to Jesus, he felt like a sinner. And in front of God, we will all feel that way. So the criminal fears God. He doesn't fear for his death right now, but he is fearing the second judgment that would come in front of God. He realizes that the penalty of rebelling against God is death, that there is worse judgment, worse death to come. And that's the reality of sin. And that's the reality for him, but that's the reality for all of us apart from Christ. The scripture teaches us that we are more sinful than we dare to imagine. Just look at the cross. Ask yourself, why does Jesus need to die on the cross? If there was another way for Jesus, for God to save us, he would have taken that path, don't you think? But Jesus goes to the cross because that's the penalty. That's, the, that's, that's what he needs to do to save us. He dies in our place. Another way of thinking about this is thinking about the answer to this question. If somebody says, are you saved? Are you saved? And if your answer to that question is, well, I'm trying. I'm trying, I'm trying to do my best. If question, if answer to that question is I'm trying, then you're not saved. Because what you're saying is I am trying to earn my salvation. I think I can be good enough if I try hard enough. But that's not the, what, what the Bible teaches us. If goodness, if your goodness is basis of your salvation, then you're not saved. This admission that this thief made on the cross This is my just reward. This is my just punishment. I am a sinner in condemnation. That's an admission. That's the hardest thing that admission that we can make, but it is an admission that we have to make. Because that's the only only way that we will turn. We will turn to Jesus for mercy and grace. In order to be saved, we must recognize our guilt before God. So after recognizing his guilt, this thief turns to Jesus. He asks, verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when, he's, uh, remember, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's not asking, look how good I am. Look at the kind of life that I received. He's asking for mercy and grace. And what a faith that is, something happened to this man as he's dying because he recognizes Jesus as the king. Remember me when you come into your kingdom as he's dying on the cross. And as he asks this question, what would you say if you were Jesus, if you're in Jesus' Jesus's position? Wouldn't most of us say, no way, you're getting what you deserve You've lived your life in rebellion against God all your life. And at the last moment, at the last moment, you think you can say these words and and, and receive salvation. 
Isn't that how we feel sometimes when people who, uh, who die at the last minute, the last minute conversions, we sometimes think to ourselves, man, this person is going to receive salvation and I've lived all my life as a Christian. All the things that I've done, this person who's had a deathbed conversion is going to receive the same reward? We sometimes feel like that, don't we? And this thief, this conversion really is last minute. Think about that. Matthew's gospel tells us that both of the criminals, left and right, were dying, and they hurled insults at Jesus. This is Matthew 20. Oh, there's no Matthew 27. I think it's Matthew 23, 44. In the same way that the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. The both of the criminals were heaping insults at Jesus. We know that the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So it means that at the beginning of the crucifixion, this man who repented later on was hurling insults at Jesus. Maybe he was hearing Jesus' words on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Maybe he thought to himself, who, who does that? Who says things like that as he's dying? I mean, this is unprecedented. I was doing uh, quiet time. Um, Psalm 57, you know, the, the, the whole thing is about punish these wicked people, people who are doing these things to me. And Psalms are full of these things. And think about King David. King David is the greatest king in Israel. He seems to have forgiven his enemies, especially Joab, uh, his, uh, his general. But as he's dying, he, he pulls aside Solomon. He brings Solomon to his side. And he makes Solomon promise that he would kill Joab. These are his words. Do not let his gray, gray head go down to the grave in peace. First King 2. This is unprecedented. This is extraordinary. Maybe he saw that in Jesus' forgiveness, that Jesus was really different, that there was something really special about him. The way that the righteous person dies often has a very profound effect on those, uh, those around us. But the point is that this conversion, no matter how genuine it was, is at the last minute few minutes before he was hurling insults. Now he's asking for mercy. By all human standards, he should not have been forgiven. How dare he ask such a question? It's scandalous. But that's the thing about Christianity, and that's, that's the thing about Jesus. The grace is scandalous. Listen to Jesus' words immediately after this thief makes this request. Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus doesn't think about this. Jesus doesn't hesitate. He turns to this man and he promises salvation right away. Today you will be with me in paradise. And he can, he's the only one who can promise this reward. He's the only one who can promise um, this paradise to the, to the thief because Jesus is carrying this man's sin so that he might, as he faces his second judgment, he might not be condemned. He might not be condemned to hell and that punishment. He's the one person. Jesus is the one person who could say, I don't deserve this cross, but he goes to the cross. That's the, why, that's the reason why he came. He came to seek and to save the lost. 
I'm sure um, you've heard this story before. Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, tells this um, story, uh, recalls this scene in the movie Last Emperor. In the movie, this last emperor, this young child, is crowned as the last emperor of China. He lives in luxury. He's got a thousand eunuch around him at his command. And his brother comes to ask him once, what happens when you do something wrong? He answers, when I do wrong, someone else is punished. And to demonstrate this, he takes a jar and then he breaks it. And immediately, someone, one of his servants, is beaten. See, on the cross, that pattern is reversed. The servants, his subjects, sin. And the king dies our death. Grace is free only because Jesus has paid for our sins. He has borne the cost. He's able to promise paradise to this man dying because he just paid for his sins. And this story of the cross should be an antidote to all of us who believe that we have to be good in order to receive salvation. That's not what salvation is about. For those people who believe that they can be saved um, because what they have done, um, or, or those who, can't, who, who think they can't be saved because of, of the terrible things that they've done in their life, that's not what, how this works. This story illustrates the amazing truth that the kingdom of God is not for those people who think they are good, but people who know that they are bad. It's not about how good you are, but about how bad you are. The kingdom is for those who know that they are bad and are able to turn to Christ for mercy. That was Jesus' plan of salvation. That's the reason why he came. That's the kind of Christ he was. But it is the easiest thing to try to shape God, try to shape Christ into our uh, own image. You know, it's the easiest thing to say to God, if you are God, do this. If you are Christ, do this for me. Don't make that mistake. Find out who Christ is. Find out who God is. And see how you can live to please him. See how you can live to fit into his life. And we have to, because on the cross, we, this, this is revealed, this very difficult thing is revealed for all of us, that we are sinners that we, in need of dire grace. It's the, one of the hardest admissions to make, but we have to make that admission. And when we make that admission and turn to Christ, and when we, as we do that, we will be greeted with this amazing grace that's unconditional that welcomes you. Truly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. What an amazing message that is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are God bigger than our mind can imagine and grasp. We thank you for your plan of salvation that we could not foresee. 
We thank you for your amazing grace in sending your son Jesus to die for us on the cross. Lord, we want to live to fit into your plan. In our studies, in our quiet times, as we pray, as we read books, as we make the effort to get to know you, we pray that you will continue to reveal yourself to us. Help us to get to know you and your plan for the world and plan for us that we might live as your people. Lord, help us to realize our sins. And if there are those of us who are not yet Christian, we pray that you will send your spirit upon them. We pray that you will send your spirit and convict us of our sins. And Lord, help us never to live thinking that our goodness is the basis of our salvation. Help us to live with grace at the cornerstone, as the cornerstone of our lives. That we may praise you. We may live a life of praise and thanksgiving. Lord, we want to be your people, touched by your grace. Help us to do that this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.